0: Welcome to the Buck and Strutten podcast, The Chronicles of Two Unlegendary Public Land Hunters. Your home for hunting tactics, strategies and stories. <laughs> Welcome back to the Buck and Shutten Podcast. This is episode five. I'm your host, Dustin Rector, along with the other host, Nick Bellis, and today we're gonna go through and kind of go at the approach that we're taking when we're placing our trail cameras out, with it kind of being the start or the brink of, you know, getting your summer trail cams and really starting the bulk of your summer scouting if you haven't already which we're a little behind compared to what we were last year, but we're trying to make the most of it in our best effort. And we're planning on here actually tomorrow morning, going to go run some more trail cameras. But we're just going to kind of break down and give you an overview of the process and the steps that we're taking. But I think before that, just kind of hit up on things that are going on right now, currently with ourselves, what we're doing to prep and get ready for, know the upcoming season as we're really starting to get in and get our summer scouting in and just kind of build up that momentum and that excitement and keep things rolling in so nick what all of you kind of been just up to
1: well you know i've i've been looking more into on running a camera which i think that's something that we've wanted to get into is some videography and photography and uh, a good buddy of ours actually gave us a it's kind of an older dslr but I'm pretty excited to start getting into that, and you know, getting some photos when we get out there tomorrow to put some more up. The uh, the trail cameras, though, it's always fun to get out there this time of year. I mean, yeah, we're we're kind of we're two weeks later mm-hmm. than we were last year, but getting them out there now and watching, especially bucks that you kind of have history with, or that you know are in the area that may have got away watching their antlers continue to grow mm-hmm. throughout the summer and then seeing finally in late August when they're full velvet or starting to shed their velvet beginning of September, it, that, that's always cool to uh, look back on. And I'm, I'm super guilty of not deleting photos or saving older photos of really, I mean, a whole SD card. That could sit out for a season. I mean, and that's good, you know, you can always go back and kind of see and get times, but mainly for just memories. This year, I think, though, with us placing our, our trail cameras out, it's a little bit more unique with the approach that we're going. And I know that we touched on it in the past episode about using the, uh, like, the orbital gland scent and urine on a scrape this time of year using more natural right i mean for our state that's just how it is you can't you can't do anything else and that's fine and i i think that fair chase is definitely the way to go yeah absolutely but the uh the approach that we're taking which quote me if i'm wrong or jeff sturgis is the one that came out with these videos Mm -hmm. on going and getting
0: a vine of a sort a vine or any just a stick or something you know solid substantial you can use and tie to a rope or cord hang it out of a tree limb and it'd be free hanging you know I mean he was taking like I can't call or say name what the specific species of vine is but you can find it most common in areas where you know you have a high moisture content in the woods It grows in pretty fertile, darker soil around red oaks and black oaks that mainly are typically around moist, soggy bottoms or soils or whatever. And there's filled with water. I don't know what the species of vine is, but that's, I think that's typically what he's using because I know we've seen a lot of it in certain areas around here. But using something like that and then tying it to a piece of cord and then having that hanging out of a tree limb and, you know, about right height for a deer, a deer's head to where they can rub their orbital gland on it. And then raking the ground below it with a dirt rake and just really freshening up that dirt and just really putting the scent off in there. And then if he does put any kind of scent or anything on it, he's peeing in it himself, which is, you know, urine is pretty sterile. Right. As soon as it leaves the body, it's scent actually does not last that long in more of a direct contact or directly implanted in a specific spot. It's not like you have like a buck bomb or you're taking doe urine or any deer urine and sitting up in your stand and spraying it and letting all the scent particles drift downwind or really just creating a cloud or a wall that drifts down, downwind you're just putting it straight on a scrape that you implemented yourself. And then from here, from what his results are and from what other results that we've seen as far as like, you know, the Missouri Deer Hunters group on Facebook, a guy has kind of implemented the same tactics that Jeff Sturgis was talking about in his videos there. He peed in his own scrape. And so far he had seen does starting to use it, but you know, to reference like to the book you're reading by uh, Gene Winsle, saying that what sets off a scrape is actually does themselves. Right. They'll pee in the scrape, and that's what sets it off, and then bucks, then all... And you're not only, you know,
1: hopefully getting photos of bucks now, but you're also setting yourself up for success as, like,
0: as the rut gets closer. Mm -hmm. And by doing this, too, I think it's not because there's different forms of scrapes. Oh, yeah. There's primary scrapes, which are, like, the main... The focal point of communication, right? Social media in there. It's like it's like a social media page for them. They go in, yeah. They go in, they post, yeah. They pee in it, they do, they leave their scent. You know, it's a way for all of them to communicate back and forth together. And then you have smaller scrapes that start popping up more frequently during the rut, and those are just essentially rutting scrapes. You know, a buck will go, he'll have a small licking branch, he'll bite and chew on the end of a little tree limb whether it be, you know, like a dogwood or a sassafras oak, small sapling of some kind, he'll leave a fairly, a decent size scrape, just depending upon the buck and I guess his mood that day and how much testosterone he's got built into him. They all kind of vary in different size. It's no different than a rub. A big buck can rub a little tree and he can just the same rub a big tree. So right. a scrape is really no different, you know, a younger buck, yeah, they won't make as big of a scrape as an old buck will. But if they're rutting pretty hard and they're feeling up to it that day, they'll tear up the whole ground if they want to and go to pawing away and digging at it. Yeah, I think it
1: depends, like also on the hierarchy of yeah of who creates these uh, who creates these scrapes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we uh, we stumbled upon last year a scrape that was a lot closer to where. We didn't need to hike all the, what we hiked that day to find That's great. Yeah.
0: But put a camera on it, and, we, I mean, I'll be danged. We christened it, I mean, yeah. with some buck scent that we had on us, right. some urine. And actually, on a tree limb from a higher than the one that was on the sapling, installed the dripper, you know, try to take care of our scent as best as we could, let that sit there for about a week. Coming back, we had multiple bucks, Two which, in fact, were, I mean, one of them was a nine-pointer and was a freak of nature Mm -hmm. for being on a national forest and not having that many good food sources that they lacked down there, but, yeah, like, he came in, acted like he owned the joint, and I'm sure he was the one that probably made that scrape himself. Another nine-pointer, who was just slightly, a little bit smaller, but still pretty decent, real thick size heavy neck, a little more of a tighter rack, and then, you know, you had quite a few two-and-a-half-year-olds that were hitting it, too. And Yeah. It it was interesting, especially
1: as we scouted that area more, uh, as we we looked in and we found more scrapes spread throughout, and, I mean, they were probably every, what, 100, 150 yards?
0: Mm-hmm. They weren't They weren't huge, either, by any means. Like, some scrapes, like you could tell they were going through and pawing out the ground, you know, like they'll go through during the fall and during the rut and they'll scrape the ground pretty hard. They'll pee on their tarsal glands, right. they'll rub their tarsal scent together and that it's all, everything kind of, you know, carries down and it gets in the ground and it's enough for, you know, a doe can smell it. Other bucks will smell it. Scrapes. They really are. They're just an interesting, they're an interesting way of how deer are really communicating to each other.
1: They, they are. And, well, and the statistics say that a lot of scrape activity actually happens at night. It's like a 80, eighty-five, yeah, yeah, eighty-five percent of that happens at night. What I think is is that when when we sat that scrape, uh, when when we sat that scrape and you killed your buck, the same, you know, the same place, we sprayed doe and estrus, and I mean he came running in. He came, yeah, yeah, threw some dough bleats in there and within 40, 45 minutes of sitting it, he came running in. Mm-hmm. And then, what, a week later, we sat it again, did the same exact thing, and the buck that I shot that got away, he came running in. Yeah, And I, I think that it all just depends on where you're sitting. If, if you're sitting a scrape, and you're not having any luck with that, mm-hmm. keep looking. Because you're,
0: one, like, you're so close, mm -hmm. you know? I think, too, you know, you can find, excuse me, you can find a scrape, and you can sit it a few days, and I mean, if you don't see anything, I think one of the best things to do is try to implement some of your own sense into that scrape, whether it be, like, you know, just experiment for, call an audible, and say to hell with it. You got nothing else to lose. It's like you can pee in it yourself. Right. I know I know some people are kind of touchy on that, but I think as time goes on and more study goes into it, I think, you know, less and less deer actually care or notice human pee versus deer pee. I'm sure that there's a difference somewhere in there, but yet the main scent and pheromone that they're drawing from that is testosterone. Yeah. And I, I mean,
1: peeing in Peeing out of the tree stand or peeing into a scrape, you think about it. That's you're, like you said, you're getting the testosterone, mm-hmm. but versus pooping out of the stand. Yeah, you know, like there's so many other scents in your in your stool mm-hmm. that is going to stick out to a deer and say, "Well, that is
0: definitely not anything that lives in these woods." Mm-hmm. Which I think is very. I I does I do think it breaks the barrier though, like. You know, you talk to some guys and it's like, oh, well, I would never, I always pack a pee bottle with me and right. try and be as scent-free as possible. And it's like, well, when the oil's on your hands and, you know, like, your waste and you take the crap out in the woods, like, anything like that is going to be more substantial to spooking deer right. than actually urine itself. Well, it's funny that you say that, you know, guys that take pee bottles out are sometimes the same
1: guys that leave their uh, their pool rope hanging. Mm-hmm. And essentially that pull rope a giant. is a giant scent wick. yeah and so you're kind of productive at that point mm-hmm. and there's all there's a thousand ways to skin a cat in the way that you do it and whatever way works for you is that's the way to go about it you know yeah. but that but for us this seems to seems to work with what we're doing and hunting scrapes has shown to be very productive yeah. That hunting scrapes,
0: hunting bedding and scrapes, we have had a lot of success. I think a tactic that, well, something that one area we're actually going to go hit tomorrow, you know, like there isn't a scrape that's there or one that we have found yet. Granted, we haven't hunted the spot, this is just the spot that was half a mile from you know, an area that we had covered in the previous episode that I talked about where the bucks that I had in the earlier season actually made it there towards the late season. Mm-hmm. It seems to be more of their home ground. It was a little further back, just on the backside of a government parcel around a guy's private, you know, close towards him. There's not any scrapes there that we have found yet, but getting further and deeper in the summer that we are right now, it's going to be a lot harder to find those that are still existent or well, prevalent. It's, it's so thick and they're probably gone, washed um, out. Or... Unless that, you know, there's smaller scrapes or ones that they're still hitting or, you know, the refreshing up throughout this time, you know, we're kind of, we're going in and we're setting the ball in their court. Yeah. We're trying in also to what Jeff Sturgis has covered, you know, this is kind of a way that, if you can maintain this scrape and you can do it just right, this is actually a way you can bring deer and draw them in throughout the year. Exactly. By using their psychology and, you know, just going through the motions of using the scent at the right certain time, maintaining your scrape, checking in on it, but yet give, giving it the distance it needs and letting the deer do their own work. It all starts with the does. They'll come in after you've set it up, they will set off the scrape because they will urinate in it themselves, rub the, you know, whatever you have, branch, fine, your looking branch, rub it with their orbital and get their sin into it. And then later on, you know, your bucks will come in out of curiosity, generally, and they'll check it out. And then, yeah, so then you just developed a massive community scrape. Yeah, It's, you know, that focal point of their communication they come through. You just made a primary scrape. And that's, that's exciting, especially Mm -hmm. when you
1: can start to see these things unfold. And I mean, patience and time are your two key virtues here. Yeah. Is that you, you know, you, you, once you set this up, you need to give it time. Yeah. Give it two to three weeks to establish itself and then sneak back in
0: there and pull the SD card and get out. Absolutely. You know, don't, don't stick around. And plus too, I think that what's going to make this slightly kind of tricky, a little bit difficult, is the fact that, you know, this area, it's about, I would estimate, 200 yards down a ridge from where I found quite a bit of bedding at earlier this season. Yeah. And I mean, there was, you know, there was some doe bedding in there. It was like a cloud or just a cluster of random beds scattered throughout this hillside. But if you were to go 70 yards back up further into some, like, smaller hickory and you know mix of smaller saplings and different sized trees where it's a little bit thicker there was actually some buck beds back in there too and they were all pretty well wrapped in what I it's a very it's a very interesting area because you go from a thick heavy like small sapling understory stand into like wide, broad, open range, big, heavy oak timber pretty quick. And from these beds, you know, like textbook to Dan Infall or any old timer that will tell you how bucks will bed with cover at their back, open in the front, they'll catch the, the wind coming over the hill back behind them so they can smell anything coming from behind, but yet they can see and hear everything coming from their front. Right. So we'll have to slip in and get around them, probably cut through the bottom and then go through where nearby where a camera was sat at. And that's like even now right now I'm not
1: as concerned. I am gonna do everything in my power to limit the scent right that I bring in, but I am not concerned as if I bump deer right now, that that's okay.
0: That's okay. As long as you're not like running through and you're free cleaning it too much. Right. You're, if you go in one day every month from here till season, Yeah, I would say you're going to be pretty well golden. I think, and that's, that's the
1: thing is that now, as soon as deer season starts or the weeks leading up, like that beginning of August will probably be the last time that I check those trail cameras Right. until I actually go hunt that spot and I just let it set, mm-hmm. let it calm down, let it set you know, do everything in your power just to keep your presence out of it. Yep. And that's public land. I mean, you don't know. Somebody else could be traipsing around in there. Yeah. But hopefully
0: you're going back far enough or you're, you're you've done your homework and research that outmaneuvered everyone else to get to where, right. you know, the deer really want to be at. And your target box where they're going to be at too. I mean, I'm not expecting you know, to like, this isn't going to be a process, whereas like you're using deer cane and minerals and attractants, where you're no. gonna draw everything in. It's gonna take time, and you're gonna it have to so. have patience. You know, this could take well up to. I mean, it could take two weeks, or it could take well up to a month or beyond that. Yeah, you, it I just mean, you depends don't know. how frequent the deer are hitting the scrape and how long it takes. But you know, whenever it does take off, scrapes or almost it's like wildfire it's like once one scrape hits off you know they start in and then as later as the year goes on it's just scrapes become a whole new process in themselves yeah with with the trail cameras getting put out now and you know that's
1: we sat down before we did the podcast and we were looking at sd cards from last year looking at all the deer that we had on camera and it kind of got me thinking about things that we can go do to still try to get an idea of what's out there i mean we, and there's there's spots around us that we can pull up, kill the truck, you know get the lawn chairs out and position it just right and sit there and use the binos and glass the field edges mm-hmm. and that even being said is if you're hunting where there's you know public timber and private fields, get to a point to where you can sit there and Spend the evening out in the great outdoors and
0: yeah, just glass a little bit and see what you can see, observe and see what you can find. You know, I mean that's the other thing too is like, I had a old friend of my dad's. He's a good friend of mine. You know, we were talking and I'd done some work for him and oh, he's a legend. Yeah, little local legend around here. He's quite the man himself for yeah. turkey killing machine. Yeah, he's good at what he does, that's for sure, but he was telling me, he's like, you know, he's like you would think that putting out your trail cameras right now, he's like that'll throw you off by season, won't it? Because, you know, back in his time, like they didn't have trail cameras back then. No. It was just all based off of going through on a topographical map, marking your locations and wherever you found everything is like Onyx before Onyx was a thing and this was pretty much the beginning of marking and mapping whitetails but he told me he said you know you kind of think that setting your cameras out right now is gonna deter or throw you off later down the road when the time season hits here and then you know it's like in seasons past it's like you know I've realized it's like yeah being a younger hunter in early stages of my hunting life and then later to where I am now know the food sources change for deer constantly throughout the year and you find right now it's like if you can find hay fields or alfalfa you know any kind of crop that's growing right now if that's that's still going to be around during the early season around september so what you're finding right now is generally what you're going to see in the first couple weeks of september versus october as soon as the acorns start to fall around here, like around here that's all pretty much that they're hitting. Oh, they push right back into you know, the timber. They push then, in the timber, and that's kind of, you know, where you get to the October lull. Yeah. Quote, unquote. And I think, I think even, dude, the
1: pushing the deer right now, especially because there's, there's pieces of public that they don't, but it, it's all timber. Mm-hmm. And so they're still browsing on the forest floor. Yeah. You know, and that's, even those deer are going to go, to where the acorns are falling, depending on
0: you know the oak tree or what's I mean, what is it? The every two years? Yeah, I think it's a uh, red oaks and black oaks that produce soft mass every two. You know, and like your whites and your post oaks. I think it's your bur oaks also. We see those more commonly and really lush, really moist wet soil and river bottoms is where you find a lot of your bur oaks that's the one with your massive acorns you know yeah you got a lot of nutrients a lot of carbohydrates right there it's a good energy source for a deer but you know you get to like we're kind of hitting on the october lull well i mean running off on a side tangent here the october lull we think is like they're just feeding on acorns they don't have to move they that just far push into the timber. deer yeah, feed yeah deer feed five times a day they don't i mean if not more they, like they don't they don't have to push that far and no, no.
1: search for food especially if it's out here in the hill country yeah you know if they
0: don't have to travel that far from their bedding area then why would not, they yeah why that's where you know like that's what excites me about going out to this one area tomorrow on government is how close it is to betting, actually, in setting up the scrape out here and really trying to stir the pot a little bit, putting the ball in their court. Right. And seeing what what all we can catch and get through. Because at one point, they're betting on public, but yet at another point, I would say they're betting on private, but yet we can't go back there. Otherwise, you know, trespassing. Yeah, I'm not doing that. You don't want to trespass. No. No.
1: That um, if you trespass, you're, you're a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, That uh, well, I mean, what was it the Mediator article that you were talking about? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. If you guys get the chance, check out the latest article that was published by Mediator. It's called, I think it's the the dumbest poacher in history. It's a, it's a sickening story that I hate. I even read part of it. Just it makes me sick. It's yeah, it's bad. Don't
1: pay to hunt high-fenced areas when you have all this public land
0: to hunt throughout the United States. And also, too, don't be the guy that sees a 10-foot-tall fence, or however high it has to be, whatever a deer can't jump over. I don't care if he's the biggest buck or whatever he is walking through the middle of this field. It's never a good idea. You know, he's past a fence, and it's not my property, but I'm going to go ahead and shoot this thing. And take its head. And take just its head. He wasted all the meat. He, he wasted all the meat. Not even that it would be that good, because whatever they pumped in that deer earlier right. on in its life, you know. This buck had been raised essentially like a livestock animal, only to be brought to a hunting preserve, if you want to call it that, high-fenced area in doctor, lawyer, whatever he was spent $20,000 on this animal just so he could come out with a rifle and shoot it. Now whether it be a rifle, bow, whatever your method of hunting is you know, regardless like, I'm not trying to cast any shame on him or anything because I mean just to each his own you know, people could call me crazy or you crazy or any of us crazy. There's like so wanting to go things out, wrong with Wanting that. to go out and hunt public land, but yet at the same time, just in our opinion, it's like, in a lot of guys' opinion, I feel like that we resemble close to. It's like, there's so many levels of wrong with this. Like, it's is that really even any longer? Is that really hunting? No. I, in my opinion, no. I, like, I look at it like you're paying someone to go out and shoot a cow, and are you even going to eat it? or are you just going to take its head and it's hide and just get a nice pretty head mount for your office it's a long that's a rabbit hole in itself it's just yeah it's it's a sickening process but that's you know actually on the instagram today i I posted
1: something about what advice would you give to a new hunter and there's actually there's a lot of good feedback from that the um Two of the things I saw that really, or three things that I saw that really stuck out the most to me was someone had said, Don't be afraid to hunt public land. Don't be afraid to go do it. And I guess that's, that's kind of one of those things that I don't, I mean, around here, I know a lot of guys that hunt public and I know a lot of guys that hunt private. Yeah. And every time I step foot out onto public land, I just the sense of adventure there's the, of I don't know where it's going to take. Me. There's a different essence to it. Oh yeah, cuz you might go to a spot, you know, Honey Hole or the Buck Nest, whatever you want to call it, and it might have dried up, and yeah. you might have to push on and find something different. Yeah. The uh, the second thing was about failure, you know, and the I uh, challenge, sport, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, of hunting, you're going to fail Yeah.
0: 9 out of 10 times. I think I would rather spend $20,000 on hunting gear and go out and fail the first few years or seasons of, you know, if I was a brand-new hunter, I'd rather drop a ton of money on all the gear that I could ask for and go out and fail but learning by failure, yeah. and To spend twenty thousand dollars on an animal guaranteed, and just have it handed to me, right? I mean, that's a horrible deer camp story. That's a
1: horrible deer camp. story. Yeah, I well, spent like, twenty grand on a deer. But are you serious? But
0: to each his own. You do whatever you want. I'm. I mean, oh, I flat tell pers- personally, I'm gonna kind of judge, but you know, just yeah. <laughs> I try and be as nice and respectful as I can, but I gotta swallow my pride and yeah. bite my tongue the until uh, <laughs> I make a fool out of myself
1: the uh, going back to that the Instagram uh, post the third thing was is somebody had commented on there saying that don't be discouraged by the shots that you miss yeah and I think especially now, if you're not doing it already, you start shooting your bow. I mean I mean, realistically, a lot of guys are gonna pick their bow up a week, a month before season. Yeah. And there's some guys that they just don't need to practice for yeah. Robin Hoods of the world. But the you'll get confidence is huge when in archery, in my opinion. If I go out and I start shooting poorly, my mindset can be altered. And that's where I've gotten in my routine of ways to correct that, off the bat. Mm -hmm. For me personally, if I go out and I'm starting at the thirty, if I'm shooting poorly at thirty, I might drop it all the way down ten yards. Yeah, I'll ding them all right. I'll have, I
0: mean, my arrows will literally be touching. It's that mental factor. Yeah, yeah, and And even my confidence start going back. Even then, just like you know, blind bail, something as simple as that. Yeah, get right at the target. Just get the feel in it. Make yourself feel good. Yeah. That
1: I, We talk about the Winslow brothers, and I think I've said before, they have, Gene and Barry have become kind of a, just a, what's the word, a, a figure for me in the hunting industry that what they're preaching and what they wrote about
0: back in the 70s and the 80s we need that now in the yeah. They're a role model that we yeah. really need, I think, in our hunting industry and just you know, and the sport in general because we don't we don't have a lot of there's something there's a there's certain authenticity and like an aura to what they have and the information that they put out and they still like to this day it's like you can go on YouTube right now. I watched it just last week or the week before that. It was a seminar with Barry Winsel going over and talking about you know him and his hunting career and just everything that he did and giving off tips and tactics and just what he has implemented and things he's done throughout his lifetime and span you know deer hunting alongside with his brother and we I mean we need more friend. guys like that yeah we need more old-timers that can just tell you yeah. from head to toe I'm tired of seeing the clickbait crap telling me that I need this this and this If you can do this, this, and this, but yet at the same time, it's like, here, use this, this, and this product. And I get it. It's a marketing scheme. And, like, you know, that's kind of the hunting industry. And, like, that's how it works. They make money. Everyone wants to sell their product and why it's the best and put it out there. And, like, by all right, in their own right, I respect that. I do. They get people to buy their product, but yet at the same time, it's like, I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of fluff in the middle with that it's like there's a lot that they're not telling you right that's it's just the whole conception thing it's like here's this package of attractant and mineral and this guy holding a 200 inch whitetail if you use this you're guaranteed to kill a 200 inch whitetail exactly I don't think there's a 200 inch whitetail in southwest Missouri I mean, there may be. There, I mean, there's a possibility, but i just realistically thinking, I mean, I would say the biggest is probably 150, 160. Yeah. yeah. It The hunting industry is, in a the whole,
1: there's a revolution coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not funny. I can't say anything going on right now. Yeah. But, no, yeah, there
0: definitely needs to be some change. That's think, for sure. I think there's a, I think with the public land hunting, you know, With the hunting public and what they've done, and they kind of put their foot in the door, and it's like it's given a shed a new light. Yeah, they're killing it. They really are. I think
1: that a lot of people, because of them, and
0: Mark Kenyon, even like he talked a little bit in some podcast episodes I've listened to him, and you know it's becoming this new like fantasy or like dream hunt that guys are wanting to do. They want to be able to go out and they want to kill a big public land whitetail. Yeah, I mean it really. It's an incredible task. It's an incredible feat. You know, I mean, it's a, it, public land. Whitetails, same thing as like a public land turkey. Like, oh, they're different breed than it's, private. It's that's a, for a sure. whole different breed than yeah. one that's on private yeah. for majority
1: to all of its life. I think that public land, public land whitetails, toms are a different story, but public land whitetails they have a sixth sense. They, they know. They really do. They know. They they know. I mean, like sure I, enough, how many I'll, times have you sat in a tree stand and had a deer? Walking in, and then all of a sudden, it, it doesn't, just kind of stops, and it turns the other way.
0: Yeah. I mean, it knows. Yeah. It's not even that they can smell you or anything. Just that sense. But it's just like, you know, they just, they can tell, they can tell something's not right. And it's even like by watching a deer in its body language, you know, there's a different gait that you watch certain deer have. It's like, I've seen deer come in on a dead run before. I've seen deer come in just at a nice gait, walk, you know, just casual, coming through, cruising at a constant speed. And then all of a sudden just hit dead stop. And it's not even like put their head up, move their head, look up in the air, anything while you're in your tree stand. Not even lick their nose to act like they're sensing your smell. It's just like they stop, they look at the ground, and they just... They know something's different and not even that you walk through there because that's a way that I know a lot of times and I think everyone falls guilty I'll come out I mean I fall guilty of it still to this day you can't really help it you walk through think you've done everything right to get to your stand and you have a deer come through and it hits your path of travel that leads to your stand they pick up whatever scent that they do and They pick up on it and they know yep it's not right They back out they leave they run off you know 100 so yards they start blowing they let everyone else know you think the hunt's over for the day it's ruined yeah but even then public land whitetails it's like it's completely different you know i've had deer on private that have you know majority stayed on private and that's not even neighboring any public land or anything it's just different links of private land put together come in and I mean some of the closest deer I've ever killed, I shot one at seven yards once. That's the closest I think I ever shot a deer and it just could have cared less as a bigger doe could have carried less that I was there. and there was two other ones right behind it and then you know versus like public land going and in same instance, bigger older doe. 200 yards down, the wind is actually blowing the, with the way she is walking in, it's blowing at her butt, and she starts blowing at me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, that's not, we're not trying to take anything away from guys that have private. No, not
0: at all. That's that's not it at all. I mean, at it the, just At the end of the day, I mean, we're all deer hunters, and yeah. we're all out here for the same thing.
1: And I, I feel if you are a whitetail fanatic, if that's your lifestyle, you're going to do everything that you can do to get into the woods. Yeah. And if that means that you have a piece of private, you have you're hunting public as well, you're going to do whatever you need to do. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to.
0: Yeah. You know? It's like, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we pride ourselves and found ourselves like we enjoy the challenge of hunting public land, but yet at the same time, I mean, there's a private parcel in general that I have drove past and I've looked and, you know, like we've found the owner of it on Onyx. I mean, we're definitely trying, we're going to reach out and contact with them and see just for instance, I mean, if we can get permission on it, and if we can, by all means, yeah, we're definitely going to try and hunt it Yeah, because driving by it, you know, one evening a week ago, I saw a really decent sized buck out there, you know, the couple of smaller bucks with them. And, yeah, by all means, like, if private's your fancy, by all means, yeah, go for it. But public's your fancy, just it's whatever. That's, when I was in the Marines and before before we would leave
1: to go on whatever deployment we were going on, that feeling of adventure, of you don't know what's going to happen, you where know, you're going to go.
0: You don't know where it's going to
1: take you. That That's, I crave that every time. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, the public around here that that fills that void yeah that i oh it gets me going
0: man. there's so much there's so much to see and there's so much to take in and you don't know what's going to lead to you next you know you find this rub line you find old scrapes you find sign maybe possibly even some sheds (laughs) yeah god willing if that ever happens (laughs) i'm about you know i'm i can find sheds from Two, three years ago, yeah, with squirrels, yeah, yeah,
1: squirrels, and but I can't find rat one. And mice chewing all yeah. over them, but yeah. they're as brown as the dirt, yeah, yeah. I can find those, but I can't find one from nice, pretty, big old white. And I guess you know, even kind of saying that about don't be scared to get into public, but don't be scared to go and ask landowners, yeah, you know, the worst they're gonna say is no. You might get a hundred no's before you get a yes, but at least you're trying. At least you're trying. That that's all that matters. You you never know. Yeah. That. And I don't know if I would ever really pay money to hunt. To hunt. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't even matter. I mean, maybe maybe if the guy was like, oh, I
0: need ten bucks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not paying now to like go in on a. Like a group of guys, and you wanted to do a like if it was a hunting lease, I don't even know if I would do that like
1: if it's not mine, I don't know like I just I don't know I
0: I don't think I could yeah but I, and who knows you know I just don't know if but I, I mean could. with the lease, it's like you're kind of buying into it, so I mean it's partially yours for the season for the season, but they might not let you access it in off times and right. during the off season throughout the year. Unless you help manage it too, of yeah. course I'm sure. And that's that's a whole different
1: beast, is that but, but like I said, just getting out there into land that is designated for the American people to go and explore. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Definitely. That whatever gets your fancy as long as you're getting out in the woods, you know. Get out there and and get outdoors and that's that's the hard thing especially where we live right now so dang hot yeah you know you spending time out in the garden and doing all the stuff around the homestead it gets to be i can't imagine walking through the woods sweating as much as
0: i sweat out here right now yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one tomorrow you gotta get on it early and try and get after it best as you can
1: yeah that's hopefully we'll get out there and get some good photos and maybe come back shoot the bows a little bit and yeah just enjoy those days cuz yeah, I mean, the countdown's on yeah it's about that time season's coming up yeah that's time to break out the stands and it's coming up fast start making sure everything's tight and get some new bungee cords strap everything down with ratchet straps if you need them start getting everything situated well i think uh i think folks that'll wrap up episode 5 I know that this was kind of a, a BS session and it was, it was pretty enjoyable for the most part, you know. It, Dust and I both have different views on different things and it's good that we can sit down and just talk about different different aspects to to hunting and the way to go about it. But as always, uh, stay safe out there, guys. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Buck and Strutting Outdoors and Please uh, leave a comment or rate this podcast if it will allow it. As always, hunt relentlessly, folks, and like I said, stay safe out there.